Let us pray. Almighty and most gracious God, as we have heard this day of your Son, our Savior, entering into Jerusalem to the shouts of Hosanna, and have heard people turn against him at the end of the week, shouting, crucify him. O oh Lord, open our eyes, open our ears, open our minds, open our hearts, that we might know your word and know its conviction and know its transformative nature. that we are a reflection of these crowds, that we are ones who so often are joyful at the presence of Christ and yet so often turn from Him just as quickly. So guide us, O Lord, by Your Spirit. Turn our hearts away from those things that are sinful in our lives. Turn us away from the rejection that is so quick at hand. And turn us to the foot of Your cross that Your Son died upon that we might behold His glory, that we might behold His redemption for us, and in that beholding be changed forever to know Him and to know You, Father, as You have made Yourself known. All of this we do ask through Your Son, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. What a day this is. I don't remember in years past before I became Anglican having such a juxtaposition on this day of having a palm procession, a joyful celebration of us shouting Hosanna to the son of David, Hosanna in the highest out in the parking lot and then processing in to then turn and read the passion of our Christ to read through the whole narrative and have these two things just pushed up against each other, to see joy and to see shame, to see people recognizing Jesus for who He is, at least catching a glimpse of it momentarily that day, to just a few days later rejecting everything that they know about Him, rejecting everything that they see about Him. It is a strange juxtaposition, but it is one that imprints itself upon our hearts, that imprints itself upon our minds to make us consider just what is happening, to make us consider what exactly is God the Father doing for us with such strange events. And it's not really that strange when you look at the big picture of Scripture. When you see all the events of the Old Testament, and then you compare the events of Jesus' life, you see that there are moments that just jump out. Moments that begin to impress themselves upon you. You begin to recognize the glory of our Lord God working and orchestrating events throughout time to bring about this moment in history, to bring about this triumphal entry, and to bring about this crucifixion and resurrection, to lead and guide His people to Jesus. So today, I just want to slowly walk through this passage of the triumphal entry. Seeing its Old Testament connection, seeing moments where God planted seeds and planted events that would lead the people to see in Jesus coming into Jerusalem something great and glorious. 
to bring all the moments of Jesus' life to a head, to bring the authorities to the pitch of anger, to the pinch, the pitch of resentment, to the pitch of hatred and preparedness to put to death the Son of God. But through all of this glory, of all of this peace, and all of this proclamation that happens at this triumphal entry, we're directed to what it all is to accomplish. It is all to accomplish our salvation, that it leads us immediately straight forward to the crucifixion of Jesus, and in that crucifixion is the salvation of the world. There in that death of the Son of God become man is redemption and salvation and hope. And that is where Palm Sunday will lead us very quickly. So let's dwell for a moment here in Palm Sunday and consider the glory of Palm Sunday. It's one of those things I just can't quite vividly enough imagine it. To see Jesus climbing the mountain from Jericho going uphill to Jerusalem. There's a reason that we have an entire section of the Psalter called the Psalms of Ascent, the Psalms of Climbing, that the Jews would say, that they would sing, that they would pray as they went from Jericho to Jerusalem. From Jericho to Jerusalem is almost 3,600 feet of elevation change in about 12 or 13 miles. And so as the pilgrims going for Passover would approach Jerusalem, they would have to climb this mountain, slowly but surely, singing these psalms, praying these psalms, and entering there from the east into Jerusalem. And here they would always walk. They would always slowly walk up this mountain and then walk down the Mount of Olives into the city. But for Jesus, he stops. He pauses at Bethpage and Bethany and tells his disciples to go ahead to go before him and get a donkey, to go get a young colt that had never been ridden upon so that he could then ride it into the city. And in Jesus' approaching to the city, we'll come back to the importance of that donkey, but in Jesus' approach to the city, there is glory to be seen here because the people respond with shouts of Hosanna, but even more. In the book of Ezekiel, Ezekiel sees multiple visions, and two of them are explicitly related to Jerusalem and the temple. At the beginning of the book, in chapters 10 and 11, Ezekiel sees a vision of God's glory leaving the temple and leaving the city and going up the Mount of Olives and abandoning the people. Why is it that God leaves his temple in this vision? It is because the temple has become full of abominations, the temple has become the center of rejection of God, the very place that was supposed to be of receiving God's good gifts and promises and His mercy had become a place of idolatry. And so in this vision, Ezekiel gets to see God's glory abandon the temple and go away. But then when you get to the end of the book, in Ezekiel 43, he sees yet another vision. He sees the glory of God coming from the east down the Mount of Olives, back into the temple, back into the city coming into a rebuilt, re-glorified temple, the glory of God and God himself comes to dwell in that temple. And so the glory of Palm Sunday is that you see the glory of God coming back to the temple. God had abandoned the temple before the Babylonian captivity. 
And the Babylonians came and razed it to the ground. They destroyed everything. And then the Jews, when they returned, were slowly able to rebuild it. But the glory of God had never descended upon it again. And so here you see the glory of God in Jesus coming down the mountain, coming down into the city, fulfilling in one sense that prophecy from Ezekiel, fulfilling Ezekiel 43. But yet, instead of God finding a dwelling place that he could dwell in in that temple, Jesus finds that it is exactly how it was appearing in Ezekiel 10 and 11, that it is full of idols, full of abominations, full of selling and mockery, full of all kinds of things that aren't supposed to be happening because the temple was a place for people to come and pray, especially in the outer court where only the Gentile, where the Gentiles could come. That there in that outer court, Gentiles were allowed to come up near the temple. They couldn't go past that outer court because then it became only for the children of Israel, but they could come into that outer court, but yet it was full of stock animals, full of animals, full of people selling goods and trading money and doing all kinds of things, keeping the people from coming to pray. And so Jesus found the temple as a place of abominations. And so you have a mingling of those two prophecies of Ezekiel 10 and 11 and Ezekiel 43 of the glory of God and Jesus coming to the temple but finding it in disrepair, finding it as not a good place, finding it as a place that is not fit for his habitation. And so he throws the people out. He throws the money changers out. He throws the sellers out and cleanses the temple. And then he begins teaching the people how to pray. He begins teaching them and leading them nearer to the Father. So there is the glory of God coming on Palm Sunday into the temple. Coming to be at the temple. But here inside of this is wrapped up the peace of Palm Sunday. There at the end of our Palm Sunday reading, what were the people shouting? They were shouting, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. What I like is that's the reverse of what the angels saying at Jesus' birth. The angel saying, peace on earth, glory in the highest. And here, the people see Jesus and they respond with peace in heaven. May there be peace in heaven that comes down and glory in the highest. That there is a peace to be seen on Palm Sunday. There is a peace because Jesus is coming into Jerusalem. He is coming to the temple to bring the glorious peace of God to be known on this Palm Sunday. But it's not because he rides a donkey. So often we hear about how the donkey is some sign of peace. That the kings rode a donkey to promote peace and not a war horse. But scripturally, I don't think that's quite accurate. Now donkeys do get associated with peace, but it's not in and of itself the donkey that gets associated with peace. It is something that happens in the Old Testament that involves a donkey and the coronation of a king. At the end of David's life, he's dying. And he has to appoint one of his sons to become king because he had lots of sons. And if he doesn't appoint one and have him anointed before he dies, civil war will break out and the nation will be destroyed. All of the warring and fighting that David had accomplished in his reign to secure the borders of Israel would be lost. And so he chooses one of his youngest sons, Solomon, following the typical pattern of the Old Testament where the youngest is chosen over the oldest so often. He picks his son Solomon to be king. He tells his commanders 
and the high priest to go take him and put him on David's donkey and let him ride his donkey to the place of anointing. And there Solomon would be anointed and declared king over all of Israel. So Solomon, the king of peace, for that's what his name is, is peace, connected to the Hebrew word shalom. He is the peaceful one. Rides upon a donkey to declare his kingship and is coronated and anointed as king over Israel. For he reigned in peace. For David had secured the borders. He had accomplished all that needed to be done for the people to keep them safe and secure. And so Solomon could sit there and reign as a peaceful king and strengthen Israel's influence and build up Israel for because of his wisdom. And people would come from all over the world to come and hear the wisdom of Solomon because he could reign in peace. And so here Jesus, getting a donkey and riding into Jerusalem, becomes a fulfillment of that prophecy from Zechariah, where that Matthew points out in Zechariah 9, that here is your king, behold your king, O Israel, humble and riding upon a donkey. I think Zechariah may have been going back to that king Solomon moment, to that moment of his coronation, reaching back and seeing in that a prophecy of the Messiah and being inspired by the Holy Spirit to write this down and say, Behold, your king will come on a donkey. Because the great son of David, Solomon, came on a donkey. There God works and orchestrates into the history of Israel a moment where the son of David comes into the city to be king, riding upon a donkey, riding upon a simple beast of burden. And so Jesus is not only the true Israel, not only the true David, but he becomes the true Solomon. He becomes, in reality, the true son of David by becoming the true Solomon. He becomes the Solomon who brings true peace, who brings true guidance, who brings true wisdom to the people of God. And he rides upon a donkey into Jerusalem to bring and proclaim this peace. Now this donkey was one that had been unridden, Luke says. All the gospel writers agree it was an unridden donkey. This is another one of those unique signs in the, in the book, in the Bible. The unridden animals, the unused animals like the red heifer, little baby lambs that had not been yet used for any kind of work, oxes that had not been used for work, these were all animals that were worthy of sacrifice. They had not been put to labor. They had not been, been put to ordinary use from the beginning. They had been set aside for the special use in the temple. And so here you have an unridden donkey, an unbroken donkey, an unused donkey, a young colt who had not been trained to do anything yet. And this is the animal that Jesus, is, that Jesus chooses to ride into the city on. An animal that didn't realize that it was going to be picked for a special use. It had been unwittingly set aside by its owner. Unbeknownst to its owner, it would be used by the true king, by the true Solomon, the true Messiah, the true sacrifice. And so upon this donkey is the king of peace. Upon this unbroken animal is the true sacrifice. The sacrifice that will take away the sins of the world. And the people are all witnessing this, this glory and this peace entering into Jerusalem, not realizing the, the, the fullness of it. They're not realizing that they are seeing prophecy being fulfilled to its fullest before their eyes. And in light of that glory and that peace that they are seeing this Palm Sunday, they begin a proclamation of Palm Sunday. 
they begin proclaiming the glory of God. They begin shouting things like, Hosanna to the son of David, Hosanna in the highest, and blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest, peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Here we see a proclamation, something beautiful being accomplished here. I'm sure many of you know, if you've been here for a while, I always have to harp on this, Hosanna, what does it mean? We all know what the word hallelujah means. It's a Latinized word from the Hebrew, hallelujah. That means praise the Lord. But we like saying hallelujah more than praise the Lord when we use it. Hosanna is a word like that. Hosanna simply means, oh, save us now. It's a word of prayer for the people to be shouting hosanna. They're shouting, save us, save us, O king. Save us, O God. Come and save us now. And here they see Jesus coming and they are shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. Oh God, come and save us for here is our king. Here is the one coming to redeem us, to save us from the Romans. Oh, how little they understood of what was going to happen this Passover week. How little did they realize that they were proclaiming and choosing their lamb that would be given over to slaughter. For on this day, as they see Jesus coming and they are shouting, Hosanna, O save us, O God. It is also the tenth day of Nisan, the day of the picking of the lambs that would be slaughtered at Passover. In Exodus 12, Moses gives the command, God gives the command through Moses that on the tenth day, they are to pick their lambs that will be slaughtered for their family to eat. That will be given over to sacrifice, its blood drained and its blood put upon the doorpost and then eaten by that family. It was picked on the tenth day. And that was to become the regular activity that on the tenth day of Nisan, right before Passover, four days before Passover, the lamb would be chosen. And here, as the people are shouting, they are indirectly choosing Jesus as their lamb. They are shouting, oh, save us now. Not realizing that they are fulfilling John's prophecy. John the Baptist's words about Jesus, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Here on this tenth day of Nisan, for the Jews in this story, they are picking Jesus to be the Lamb of God, to be the Lamb that would be slaughtered, to be the Lamb whose blood would be drained out and put up on their doorpost in order that they could be saved. Hosanna, oh save us now. They are saying to this lamb, they are crying out to the God in heaven. And so they choose the lamb that will be slain for them. The lamb who will save them from death. The lamb who is always a reflection of that event of the exodus, of being able to be freed from exodus, from the Egyptians, the people being released from captivity. And of course here at the beginning of this week, as they see the Son of God come, as they see the Son of Man come, as they see Jesus come into the city and they're shouting their hosannas the freedom they're thinking about at the forefront of their minds is most likely freedom from the romans for just as their forebears were oppressed by the egyptians in worse ways than they were in that day but nonetheless they were still being oppressed by the romans they were being ruled over by the romans they were being put down by the romans and so they are crying out hosanna oh save us from the romans not realizing that there was something deeper, something more important that they needed to be saved from. Not recognizing that 
All the temple duties, all the temple activities were but a foreshadow of the true sacrifice that was coming. That it was a foreshadow of all of their sins that needed to be undone, that all needed to be changed. They needed to be redeemed. They recognized the need for redemption, but they didn't go deep enough. They knew that in some sense, the Romans ruling over them, Gentiles ruling over them is a reflection of sin. That is a reflection of their disobedience. But they didn't realize how deep that disobedience runs. And that it's not just from the Romans they need saving, but it is from themselves. And as they cry out, Hosanna, oh save us, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. They are needing a deep down redemption. A redemption to the very core of their beings. Not just the Romans being kicked out, but their very sinful selves being kicked out. Them being changed and renewed so that they can rest in the Messiah. And so there they proclaim for this Palm Sunday, Hosanna. They cry out for salvation and they pick their land. So that glory and peace that they have seen that Palm Sunday will be made manifest on Good Friday. The glory of God is seen in Christ himself hanging on this cross. The glory of God is revealed to us as God accomplishes redemption on our behalf. And through that glory being revealed on the cross, peace comes to us all. A peace that fulfills that proclamation of, oh, save us. A peace that makes us cry out even more, Hosanna, Hosanna, oh, save us now. We need this peace from God. We need this peace that only comes through Jesus Christ. For what did we hear as he was being hung upon the cross? Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do, that he knows he is the sacrifice. He knows that he is the one who will accomplish redemption. He knows he is the one through whom forgiveness will come. And so he says, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. They don't understand what is happening. Bring to them forgiveness through me. And he says that for us this day. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And the forgiveness of God comes down to us through Christ, through the proclamation of the gospel that Jesus Christ died for our sins. Oh, come and have faith in him. Come and trust in his work. Give up trying to save yourself. Give up trying to throw off your version of the Romans. Lay down at the foot of the cross and receive the sacrifice of Jesus that gets rid of the true evil, that gets rid of the true wickedness, that gets rid of the true sinfulness in this world that starts in you, that removes our sin from before the Father's face. And so here all of Scripture is directing us to that moment. All of Scripture lays the groundwork for every event in Jesus' life. Scripture points us to that glory, that peace, and that proclamation of Palm Sunday in order that we would look through that and see Good Friday, that we would see the work of God on our behalf in Jesus, Him becoming the ultimate servant, Him becoming the perfect sacrifice on our behalf. And it all starts walking through Palm Sunday, through the people receiving Him as King and then rejecting Him, and in the aftermath discovering that that is how God would accomplish their salvation. And so may we rest in the way that God works, knowing that he will extend forgiveness, knowing that he 
receives us back for the sake of Jesus. That even when we reject him, even when we walk away, he is at work to draw us back, to remind us of his glory, to remind us of his peace, and to remind us of the proclamation of, oh, save us now, so that those words will fall upon our lips at the right time. And so may those words fall upon us this day, oh, save us now, oh, son of David. Oh, save us now, you blessed king of Israel. Oh, save us now, that we might always rejoice before you in heaven. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.